0: Okay, good morning. Uh, John 11. We'll, we'll see what, uh, what God does and says to us. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world, but at night, there's danger of stumbling because they have no light. Jesus say some really unhelpful things to try and explain simple points. And we'll come back to that. Then he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I'll go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly. The disciples must have gone, Oh, at last, thank you. Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go and see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let's go to and die with Jesus. Jesus arrived at Bethany. He was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everything rises and everyone rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, even after dying, sorry, any, anyone in who believes in me will live, even after dying. Anyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary, and she called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher's here, and he wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him? But some said, This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across his entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I've said it out loud for the sake of all those people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, Unwrap him and let him go. So, a familiar story, and I really wanted to try and get. Inside this story, a bit more, and I felt as I, I looked at it that there were some things going on that it would be helpful for us to understand. Um, we'll see where we go. Uh, raising Lazarus, or oh, if Lazarus came fourth, who came first, second, and third? <laughs> Thank you, Sonia. Thank you. And I have one fan in the audience. I want to remind you of some of the things that. I said a few weeks ago, not because I think they're especially important, but because I think it will help you understand where I'm coming from. Remember, these statements, these are not church statements, they're not leadership statements, they're just Graham statements. Um, I haven't even talked to the rest of the leadership yet, but nobody said, don't do that again. So um, I think I may be all right. I'm not going to explain them, I just want to lay them as a kind of bedrock of where i'm looking at this story from it's the nature of god to renew restore and repair it's not the nature of god to inflict or accept disease disability and disorder god is the source of all true healing natural and divine we should receive it all from him with gratitude to desire his healing touch is to desire his presence with us when he is present with us his healing will be evident that's what Uh, Ian was praying. He is always present with us, which is also what Ian was praying. The New Testament standard is all who came to Jesus were healed. I believe we we should expect the same standard. If we don't see that standard immediately, we should remember that he is always loving, he's completely consistent, and he always rewards those who earnestly seek him. There's always a cost to our human nature when inheriting his divine nature. By that, what I mean is, when God's doing something in us, something has to go that's already there. Okay? So advancement in healing will be contested, and courage will be required to overcome opposition. Usually, it's courage in here and in here. We pray and we pray and we pray for something, and it doesn't move... What do we do? We keep on praying. Or we just say, no, it it isn't going to work. And I think that's something for, for discussion. Receiving healing is a journey. There may only be one step, in other words, healing may be immediate, or there may be many steps. But the Father desires us to grow, to be like him as we step forward. God's heart is filled with compassion for those in need. And when our hearts resonate with his, we see his kingdom come and his will being done as it is in heaven in greater measure. Healing's not an academic exercise. It's not a box to tick and say, oh, we're a good church, we had a healing. It's to do with the desires of God to see his kingdom coming. Faith and compassion grow in us as we draw on the life of his word and the testimonies of his activity. And lastly, in the end, though, there'll always be mysteries, and we need to draw closer into his presence to fathom them. OK, I wanted to look at this story from the point of view of the characters and how they react. OK, firstly, Lazarus. He's pretty inactive in the whole thing. He does, he's, he's, it's like Marley in uh, Christmas Carol. Now, Christmas Carol opens, if you know the story, opens with the sentence, Marley was dead to begin with. uh, Because he was dead. But the story revolved around some things that involved him. This story, actually, Lazarus is pretty important in the whole thing. Um, But he's pretty inactive at the beginning. Uh, We don't don't hear about why he's ill. Uh, We don't even hear about when he dies. All we know is that when they came to Jesus, he was still alive. Jesus waited. And by the time he arrived there, Lazarus was dead for four days. So Jesus was either quite a long way away, or I suspect he, he waited. If you read it again, and I can't remember if it's in this version or not, but in some of them it says, on the third day, Jesus went. So he waited at least three days, and then he had to travel there, and by the time he got there, Lazarus had been dead four days. So it's not, there wasn't a text it wasn't Instagram or you know, FaceTime. Hey, Jesus, come quickly, we, we need help. You know, you tell somebody they walk for several days. To, they've got to find Jesus. Then they, uh, Jesus hangs around for three days, and then Jesus and his team walk back. Um, so there's, there's quite a gap there. But at the end, he makes a great entrance. It's got to be one of the best entrances in the, the whole of Scripture. The disciples... Basically, the disciples are scared. It's not that they don't care about Lazarus. They care more about their own skins. Listen to the way they react. Um, Jesus said... um, If we go back to verse uh, 4, Jesus said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Uh, This happens so the glory of God and so that his son uh, will be shown and so that uh, his son will receive glory. But then... After three days. So the disciples are thinking, oh, great, we don't have to to do anything. You know, God's going to be glorified. We're fine here. Thank you very much. And then three days later, Jesus said, let's go back to Judea. Now, the last time they were in Judea, it got really serious. People tried to kill Jesus, and by association, the disciples were also in trouble. So the disciples, they had a choice. They could have said, yay, we're going to go and see Lazarus raised. Or they could have said, Rabbi, we don't want to go. It's only a, few, only a few days ago the people in Judea were trying to stone you. And you want to go back? Does this sound like a faith-filled group of people? I don't think so. So then Jesus tells this uh, uh, parable that we always overcomplicate, um, which is basically saying, look, when there's light around, uh, you can see what's happening, and I'm the light of the world. So just... Just walk in my light and you'll be okay. Um, and then he says, well, Lazarus is just sleeping. So he's using this kind of euphemism to, to say, he's not really dead as far as I'm concerned. Remember, Jesus always looks at things from a heavenly view. The disciples have yet to understand that. So they're always looking thing, at things from an earthly view. So they say, well, if, only, if he's only sleeping, let's just hang around here because he'll wake up eventually. We don't want to go to Judea because it's dangerous. It doesn't say that but that's what they're saying uh, and then jesus said lazarus is dead can't be plainer than that really so then thomas who must have been a really cheery character to be around says all right come on let's go and die and there's not a lot of enthusiasm from the disciples they are scared the question we have to ask is why I hope we'll answer that later on. We go on to Martha. One of the reasons that has convinced me more and more that this story is true is because of the reactions of the people. They are so human. And it's, it's true in all the Gospels. I'm not suggesting some bits of the Gospels aren't true. But the, the reaction of uh, people within this is so human Here's Martha. She is grieving. There's Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It's an unusual household, actually, because there's no suggestion that these two women are married. And there's also no suggestion of how old they are. My feeling is that they're probably not very old from the, 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 the general feel you get a bit. though there's nothing specific. Um, and I don't know why they weren't married. I would imagine be quite unusual for uh, women who were uh, not necessarily so old to be living together and not not married. So I'm imagining they're in their maybe they're kind of twenties, thirties, something like that. Um, and Lazarus also doesn't seem to be married. There's no there's no grieving widow. There's no no talk of children or anything like that. So it's an unusual household, but they've clearly welcomed Jesus in. He has. An affinity with this family that we don't read about with anybody else, even with some of his disciples. Even though these three were not disciples, these were his friends. He loved these people, and they loved him. But they also struggled to understand him. She's grieving, and she is hurting. She loves her brother, and what she doesn't understand was she sent a message to Jesus and she knows Jesus could have stopped death. She said, if you had been here. And her sister says the same thing. You can imagine them talking together saying, if only Jesus were here. And, and Lazarus, as he's lying there, getting worse and worse and worse, saying, if only Jesus were here, he would sort it out. And then he dies. And so... These two ladies are left with a huge question mark. And this is all going on in the context of what Jesus is revealing of the, the kingdom of God. Have you ever had a question over something that Jesus didn't seem to do? Some of us. The rest of you, I, I don't know, you know, perhaps you should be up here. But there's a big question mark here. She's got her theology right. Only problem is her theology isn't working. Because uh, Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Uh, and I said, yeah, I know he'll rise again on the last day when everyone else rises up. And Jesus is going, yes, but no. I said, your brother's going to rise again. She said, yes, yes, I know there's a resurrection. And Jesus said, I'm the resurrection. In other words, You're right about what's going to happen in the future, but what you're expecting in the future, I'm here. I'm here now. And there's Mary. Mary's a very different type of of lady. Martha is in your face all the time, in the nicest possible way. Uh, Mary is uh, much quieter. Jesus comes, and normally if Jesus came... You get the impression reading about Mary; she would be out there and she'd be all over Jesus, giving him hugs and welcoming him and wanting to sit and listen to him. She doesn't do that; she stays inside with all the weepy people. What used to happen in that society still does in in some. Was when somebody died, you'd get all the mourners would come along. You'd have professional mourners you used to pay them to come and wail. Um, I don't think these are the professional type. I think these people really love the family as well and they're all upset and they're trying to console Mary but Mary doesn't want to go out to Jesus she cannot face her question so she's grieving and she's hurting but she's emotionally paralysed she's got greater truth yet to discover so the way they respond is different but the things that are going on for them are the same and here's Jesus Jesus is waiting for God's timing so that he can reveal the greater truth that they need to know. Okay? There's a painful thing going on here for Jesus because he's seeing his friends in pain. But he knows they've got to walk through that pain in order to find something that's a greater truth than they have yet seen. And Jesus has to allow that. When we walk through difficult times because God has something for us to discover, he has to allow it. And I don't think he finds that enjoyable. I think God, at one level, would love just to answer everything. Bang, 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 bang. Now, this is not the only reason, but one of the reasons that we need to wait sometimes is because we are not ready to receive the truth that God wants to give. God wants us to grow to be more like him. And the, the thing that we are pursuing, the truth that we're pursuing, needs other things in our heart to be in place for that to happen. Now, don't, don't go away and say, well, that's a rule that always happens. It's just part of the process, I think, that goes on. Okay, Lazarus, the story. So we've had the characters... Uh, now we've got the story. So Lazarus, uh, he in the end, he gets life. Not he's in prison for life, okay? That's not what I mean. He gets life. Death gets defeated. I'm, I'm going to come back to that because uh, uh, it's pretty important in this story. God gets glorified, and, and that's what happens. Okay? Uh, let's just go through that again. because uh, Lazarus gets life, Death gets defeated, God gets glorified. That's what goes on here. Keep that framework in mind, and I think it will help us. All right, here are some lessons. Jesus displays obedience to the Father. The thing that really struck me in this story about Jesus is the range of emotions that he goes through. I don't think we see it in any other story more clearly, possibly with the exception of the the crucifixion, which is obviously uh, quite an intense and emotional Time frame, but here we see Jesus angry, and then we see Jesus weeping, and then we see Jesus triumphant. What's going on? Why is Jesus angry? Jesus is angry at the enemy, Jesus is angry at death because Jesus has come from heaven, there's no sickness, there's no death. And he's come to earth where he's rampant with sickness and death and everything else. And Jesus is angry at that. And his emotions are stirred. That's why you see Jesus angry. Jesus doesn't get angry very often. But he gets angry at things that impede God's love reaching people. And here we have death. And death has done something. <clears throat> it's basically like death is on Jesus' patch right now. And death is there, and it said, hey, you think you're the son of God? Just watch this. And it takes Lazarus away. That's what Jesus is angry at. Jesus isn't angry at any people in the story. There is a level of his perception which is informed by heaven that makes him angry. We need this to infect us. People quite often say the church needs to get angry about things. I understand what they mean. Sometimes we're talking about the wrong stuff. We're talking about getting angry at the wrong stuff. Let's remember something. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Okay. So when something happens that does not submit to the victory that God's already established, I think there is anger that rises in heaven and it touches us and that's what God is intending to motivate us to do something. So, um, there are going to be some personal bits in this and some personal bits for some of you. We've got three people that we're praying for on Tuesday and I'm angry that we're still praying for them. I mean, I'm angry at this persistent sickness and illness. For Pam, for C, it's reoccurred for for Jan. And there's something within me that just says, no! But that has to affect me. And it's no good just responding to it out of anger. Jesus doesn't respond from his anger, but he does let what's going on in his anger help inform the way he responds. And there's a difference. Because we can't pray angry prayers because our prayers are directed to God. And I'm not angry at him. But you, you, have, to, you have to understand what's going on in, in the dynamic of your reaction to something. When Anne was sick, uh, I, I got angry about the sickness because I knew that she shouldn't be sick. I knew that wasn't God's best for her. That wasn't his intention. And this thing was not moving. And that, that made me angry. But there were other emotions mixed up as well, obviously. And for Jesus, there are other emotions mixed up. Because he's angry, but then he's sad. He goes and he sees Mary. And he sees the impact of this thing. And he sees all the mourners. And he weeps. Now, it says here, Jesus wept. That doesn't convey half of the emotion that Jesus is carrying here. He is sobbing from the depths of his being. And again, there's more than one thing going on here. And you may not all have had this experience yet, but you might do. There's there's a, a level of human sorrow at what's happened. But there's also an aspect that when that's going on and you look to God, because you don't just grieve over the circumstances and have sorrow over the circumstances, you're looking to God to do something. And in that kind of emotional state, the, the beauty and the wonder and the glory of God also brings out weeping and you've got both things happening at the the same time. (laughs) These days, it happens to me a lot, and I don't always know which one's going on. I just know which one I have to focus on. I can't afford to get caught up in my grief. I have to make sure that my grief pushes me into the wonder and glory of God. Now, grief doesn't just happen when people die. Grief happens in all kinds of circumstances. When we... The grief comes through loss and is a, a result of how much we care. We can grieve over people that are still alive. We can grieve over circumstances. We grieve when something that God should, or when we know something that should be ours or should be glorifying God or should be somebody else's has gone and it evokes that kind of response from us. But that response is a response from heaven. And... I wish I had the words to describe this adequately, but there's because we are attuned to the life of the Spirit of God, then we feel more and more and more of what God feels. And the more we allow that, and the more we seek to understand it, the more it will happen. So I, I always carry a handkerchief with me these days. and Not because I've got a runny nose, but because when I'm in worship, I never know when it's going to hit me. Hit me this morning. Other mornings, it doesn't hit me. Uh, Annie was, was down here playing. I looked at, oh, it was playing and worshipping and just having fun and a great time. I looked at her, I burst into tears. We sang one of the songs. There was just a line that caught me. I just went, oh, my goodness. You know. uh, that's going on for Jesus the whole time. See, he, I think it was a lot of emotion. People that, that read Jesus and don't see him as an emotional person or just say, well, he was from the Middle East, they're all emotional. It's rubbish just that we're not really understanding the story. Okay, better move on. I want to talk about death. Death is at work here. And what death does is... Uh, you know this Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse? I know I'm getting off track here, so stay with me. There's Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Sin and death and, and disease and famine, I think. Uh, and... a uh, oh, war. War's one of them. And actually, there's just, it's not that there are four different beings. There's one, one being, there's one entity, and it's the enemy, it's the devil. But he manifests himself in different ways. That's why Revelation's all kind of picture language. If you don't understand the pictures, it's tricky. Death is like that. We experience death. We had somebody... This is years back. I can't even remember who it was, but somebody here in the, the, the church... Um, uh, there was, somebody had developed cancer, and there was an announcement about it. And what happened was and I felt this, but I didn't understand it at the time, was this kind of wet blanket got pulled over the whole meeting. And it was despair. And it was just the, the diagnosis of cancer. And cancer, as long as, uh, along with other things, but it, it carries with it this attachment to death. I just think death kind of rubs its hands and goes, I can get in on that. And my question is why do we let death have anything to do with it death's a defeated enemy death is done so when that when we get news that is not great news it doesn't have to carry death with it and we just resist that we just say okay we we understand the situation but we're not letting death get in on this act because that we just want room for jesus here there's no room for anything else only room for jesus one of the things that I think holds us back in healing, and by us I mean probably the church in the Western world, um, is that we, we've allowed death, we don't recognise death. We don't recognise what it is. I had this experience after Anne died, and I had it more than once. And I don't think it was an overactive imagination. And Usually in worship, and at the time I was just trying to connect with God and I was trying to, to push past and, and live in and discover the victory of God in my circumstances. And I Now, this is going on in my imagination. This is not a vision, and I'm not trying to lay any more emphasis on this except this is how I saw it. But I saw death, and I saw death. And do you know what? He, it was a snivelling, defeated, scrawny little being somewhere out here. Thank you. And, and it, was, it had the temerity to try and challenge Jesus. It wasn't me, it was challenging. It was Jesus, it was challenging. And I just looked at it because I was focusing on Jesus. I just looked at it and I thought, who are you? Okay, now, Anne was still dead. <laughs> so it's not trying to deny that, but it is trying to to explain how we overcome death. You see, and the thing is, I know it's still there. I know it's still there. When, I, when Pam was, was uh, getting sicker, uh, there was an internal struggle for me about uh, how do I go and pray for her. And I, we all have to face that through our different circumstances. It's not unique to me at all. But there's an internal struggle, and I knew that it was death. I knew it was death that was asking the question. Because let's face it, without the type of intervention that she's had from all directions, uh, she probably wouldn't be here. She was a very, very sick lady. She's still got a long way to go. So death was kind of taunting. And when I recognised it, I just thought, oh, of course. So I knew I had to deal with it in here and in here, and that made praying for her a lot easier. Psalm 23 talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I think that is an experience that we have sometimes. But notice it's walking. It's not camping out and having to live there forever. It's passing through. We pass through death. And one of the outcomes that I would love to see from uh, this morning is that uh, we recognise the taunting voice of death has no power. And that leaves us free to pray for C, and for Jan, and for Pam, and for anybody else without that. There'll be other things as well that we've we probably got to deal with. But as far as that's concerned, this is a, this is a death-free zone. I don't mean people, no one's going to die here this morning. I wasn't anticipating that anyway. That'd be really good on my CV. I preached and somebody died. Then you, I think the rules are then you have to pray and they get resurrected, especially if they fall out of a window. That's why I don't let anybody sit on the windowsills. But a zone where we know that death's defeated. Okay, last thing. The enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. Here's a strange story. In fact, we've got two strange stories. I'm going to tell one, Rodney's going to tell one. Uh, they're testimonies, and um, then we're going to pray for people. About, um, it's about a year after Anne died, uh, I was away with uh, some of the leadership team. We were in Liverpool, and uh, I think it was when we were in the Beatles Hotel. Yeah. We had this brilliant hotel. It was kind of Beatles-themed hotel in Liverpool. Brilliant. Uh, better get back back to the, sorry back to the point here. And uh, I was just remembering these two guys, these two uh, scousers who ran it. They were a scream. Anyway, back to the story. So we were being prayed for. We had this thing, or about eight uh, church leadership groups there. And uh, we'd been talking for two or three days about a whole range of things we were trying to do. And then we made some notes on a big, impressive sheet of paper. And people would come around, and we'd try and explain what the notes were about and make sure that we understood it. And then they'd pray for us. And we were one of the last groups to be prayed for. And all these people around us, they were church leaders. They knew how to pray. You know, it's all Kalagasita and Mustave Shandy and all that going on. And uh, I was not paying attention Because my mind was wandering, and my thoughts went like this. I was thinking about Anne, and I was thinking about destiny, and I thought, Lord, what happens to the plans and purposes you have for somebody when they die prematurely? What happens to those? No answer. But I thought, well, that happened to Anne, and we, we made a covenant, we made a binding covenant with you, Lord. And we, we completely gave everything of ourselves to each other. So can I have what she didn't use? Can I have her destiny as well? Because I, you know, she's not around, and you know, I'm, I'm getting used to that, but I, I don't want that to go to waste. I'd like that, please. And then I thought, that's a stupid prayer. That is a stupid route. I never heard anybody talk about that. I never heard anybody preach about that. Uh, and I just thought, Let me, uh, pay attention to these church leaders. They know what they're talking about. Um, anyway, uh, we got to, it, was, it was sort of near, near the end of the, uh, the, the praying. They all moved on. There was one character who I'd got to know a bit over the, the previous times we'd been together. And he said, um, Graham, I just feel God saying to you that there's a double portion coming. Now that's within, that was within a minute. I'm not kidding. That was within a minute of praying this prayer and going, that's stupid, Lord. I'm sorry. And this this guy obviously didn't know anything about it and he moved off. And I just stood there with my mouth open. Certainly metaphorically and probably uh, physically. And later on, I learned that God restores what the enemy takes. The enemy had taken... And destiny and God wanted it restored on the earth but I think only certain people can ask for it and I think because of the covenant relationship that we had I could ask for that God has stolen things from some of us and uh, sorry God hasn't (laughs) scrub that the enemy has stolen them and I think it's the activity of death It's the activity of death. Rodney, come and share your story, please.
1: Uh, I've carried this for about a year now. Uh, I spoke about a year ago, and I was going to share it, but I didn't have leave. And a couple of weeks ago, I I had a dream about my family, not just my nuclear family, but my wider family. And in this dream, I met my brother, who died 30 years ago and God spoke to me about his destiny that wasn't completely fulfilled and I was a bit disturbed by that and then the next person I met in this dream was the son we had who we lost in the miscarriage and God spoke to me about that and I was floored so I held it, and I didn't know what to do with it. Fortunately, Graham and I were getting together for um, coffee the next morning. So we got together, and I said, I've got something to share with you. I'd like to, your opinion. And he said, I've got something to share with you. I'd like your opinion. And guess what? His was about Anne, and mine was about my family. So I really feel God has got something for us this morning in this area we sang earlier on god mends every heart that is who you are and i'll read your scripture first this is psalm 20 verse 4 may god give you the desire of your heart and carry out every plan as you go into battle life is a battle life is a battle and as I was thinking about this, what came to me was, Jesus said, John the Baptist was the greatest man that's ever been. But everybody else in the kingdom after me is more significant and greater. So we are greater and more significant than God, than John the Baptist. So let me look what I wrote down. Inside all of us is what they call some people call dream codes or destinies or different things. Now, I'd like to pray for us all this morning. Some of the things I'll say will apply to everybody. Some of it will apply specifically to a few. Now, I'm not going to ask you to stand up and and identify yourself, but I'm going to ask you all to stand up in a minute, and then the prayer covers everybody. And if it affects you personally, you can take it in without being identified. Okay? Um. So what I want, I'd like to pray. I believe God has spoke to me clearly that where people have had family members die because there's an there's a individual inheritance, you can't become somebody else. You can't fully take somebody's destiny, you can't. But there are elements of family destiny that have been lost, temporary, because people died early. And I believe God's spoken to me to pray that anybody in that position, whatever's available, you can pick up part of that destiny and you can fulfill it on their behalf. Now, don't get me wrong, you're not becoming that person. This is family destiny. And the second thing I'd like to pray about is any ladies or men have been affected. I was affected when Sonia had a miscarriage. I'd like to pray into that area so everybody see where I'm going. So if you'd like to stand, then I don't identify anybody particularly.
0: Just, just before Rodney prays, um, the other thing I want to add, uh, we're going to go back into to worship, so worship team, if you can kind of be paying attention to the prayers, but also um, get yourselves ready. We're going to go back into worship afterwards because as we worship... Um, and Tom will pick something appropriate, I know. Um, I want us to worship and declare life. Um, And then, after that, if there is anybody who would like prayer for healing, for anything, um, either ask people near you, or come to the front, and we'll get some of the leaders to to pray with you. Um, That's okay. The other thing to say is... What I, I've learned, and again, I can't explain this. I'm, I'm trying to get my head around it. Um, in Deuteronomy, uh, when God speaks to his people, he says, one of you will chase a 1,000, but two of you will chase 10,000. When something doubles in the kingdom, it more than doubles on the earth. What the enemy takes, God just doesn't give back that much he gives back what he makes of it and just just be ready to receive whatever it is that the lord wants to do in your heart rodney
1: okay i'll tell you what put your hand on the person's shoulder next to you and then we're all in this together we're not just lay down. now open your hearts however you do it just open your hearts Father, we're coming to you this morning in your bigness. And we thank you, every one of us here is more significant in the kingdom of God than John the Baptist. And Father, I want to pray that some of that significance would increase and be manifest in double portions over the coming months. And Father, so I want to pray now for anybody who's had a family member die early. Now don't identify yourself, just know in your heart. Just quietly think of that person. Father, we thank you that we're here, alive and well this morning. We are sad that some of our relatives have died and died early. And Father, we reach into your heart this morning and we ask you to release down into every person who is affected by this the elements of that destiny that can be released to us and we can couple it with our destiny and see it fulfilled on this earth as an extension of the kingdom of God. Father, would you restore into our hearts? all that was lacking and all that was missing because of that premature death. And we release that now in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray for everybody now, where there's elements of our destiny and our dream code that's been impinged upon or even dented or even killed, that you would this morning release afresh... In Jesus' name, the full destiny and inheritance that we have ordained from the beginning of time, we release now a new dimension of destiny, purpose, and fulfillment in every life. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, we pray now for any lady or man, because the men are affected too, that's had miscarriages in their lives, we bring that before you. Lord, I don't understand this, but I know you've spoken to me. We want to bring before you those little ones that didn't fulfill their destiny. And we ask you, wherever that is true, that you would bring the elements that are possible. We can't become them. But the elements of family destiny that were lost because of that, we ask you to release it into our hearts and our lives. That we know our family is fully expressing the the destiny and purpose you add for our family youth in heaven. And we pray for healing and restoration of any damage that still may be in our hearts and our lives. We thank you. You mend broken hearted. Mend every aspect of broken heart in lives this morning who have experienced miscarriage. And those amongst us who haven't personally experienced but know of it in close friends where it's impinged upon us, we ask you to heal and restore that now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And there's one little thing coming to my mind just as we're concluding. There's there's some gifts of administration that were lost through people that have died early and God wants to restore them to you where you are not very good at this. There is a family inheritance in the gift administration. And Father, we drink it now and we release it into every heart and life that that applies to. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.